What's up, Journey? Happy Independence Day. Welcome to church. Very, very glad you've joined us this weekend. Come on, we can do a little bit better than that, can't we? Aren't you glad to be here today? Yeah, it's a good day. And I want to take a moment before we go any further and just say hello to our Hocassin Church family. Newark, will you help me give it up for H-Town? Love our church family in Hocassin and the team there. Thank you for all of you who serve there and for any of you who may be gathering for the first time, a big welcome to you. To all of you who are joining us online, a big welcome to you as well. Whether you're at home or at the beach or traveling this weekend, we're very glad that you're a part of this day. And it is Young Communicators Weekend. So what that means is that in just a, a few minutes, you're going to get an opportunity to hear from some of the young leaders that we're raising up in our church and that God is really raising up among us. I'm very excited about that. If you're new to the journey... We have a vision, really a passion, to make a difference in our region, what we call Journey City, a 30-mile radius around our broadcast location where there are 1.8 million people, and so many of them need hope. So many of them need the life-giving message of Jesus, and we're just one of many churches in our region. We recognize that, but we just have this passion to, to make a difference, and we're doing that. We're going to be doing that in weeks to come. You're going to hear about some exciting ways. We're going to be meeting needs in our region. But part of that is raising up people. In fact, honestly, the biggest part of that is raising up people. People like you, so many of you who serve on the J team, I've had an opportunity already today to just high five some of you who are serving. And of course, many I didn't get to thank you for serving and making a difference. And then we have a heart to raise up leaders, people who feel called by God to make a difference in the marketplace and ministry. And that's what Journey Leadership Institute is all about, this brand new umbrella that we've unveiled for all of our leadership development here. It includes the evening program uh, that'll be kicking off this fall. If you're interested in that, I encourage you to take that step. Our, our student internship, our summer residency, steps of leadership that people take here. We just have a passion to raise up people and that's what this weekend is about. Some of our leaders that have been praying and preparing to speak to you today. We have seven of them spread around the weekend. And I bet they have a few nerves going on. I remember the first time I ever spoke at a church, I was invited, I was a guest speaker. I didn't tell them it was my first gig. That's kind of rule number one. And they asked me, they said, hey, how long do you usually speak? And I didn't usually speak. So I didn't know how long I usually spoke. So I said, well, about 35 minutes. And they said, okay, it sounds good. And I spoke for 12 minutes, everyone. That was all I had. When I was done, I was done. Mama always said, when you don't have anything left that's good to say, stop, stop speaking. So I did. And I don't have that problem anymore. In fact, work hard to get it to 35 minutes. But I'm sure these communicators have some nerves going on. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to lean in, engage with them, laugh at their jokes, just like you do at mine. You laugh when they're funny and you laugh when they're not because you just want to help me and uh, do that for them. And then know this, this weekend isn't just for them, it's for you. And there's something that God wants to do over the next few minutes through these messages that will impact your life if you'll if you'll make space for God in your life, wherever you are in your spiritual journey. So today you're gonna to get a chance to hear from two of our great young leaders that we're raising up here. I'm so proud of them. Lindsay Daly's gonna come speak in just a moment. And Lindsay is the director of our Hokessin worship team. So H-Town, this is, this is uh, 
one of the leaders who's making a difference there, and she is a passionate worshiper. I call her Runway because she has the world's greatest fashion sense, and so I have no shame. Sometimes I'll run things by her. I just realized I didn't run this by her, so I feel a little bit nervous, but you'll get to hear from her in a moment. She's a passionate leader. I know her message is going to make a difference in your life. And then Sydney Jones, who is our central worship director, oversees all of the worship. And uh, Sydney, just a few years ago, was, was shyly standing at the back of the stage playing guitar. And I really have to give credit to some of our uh, lead team. Dave Jackson, our gathering pastor, saw something in Sydney and just kept pouring into him. And man, it's amazing. I don't know if you realize this or not, but the song we sang couple, the second song we sang today is a Journey original, and Sydney led our team, and they're writing songs and making a difference, and I'm so proud of him. It's going to be a great morning, so Journey, will you help me give it up first for Lindsay Daly Runway? <laughs> proud of you. Guys, I am so excited to be able to be here with you today. And before I kick it off, I have to give a quick shout out to my Hoke Heston family. Guys, I love you, I miss you, and I'm looking forward to being back with you next weekend. And truly all of you get a shout out because I think you missed the memo. Uh, this is supposed to be a beach weekend, but here you are gathering with us today. I believe that there is a special place in heaven reserved for each and every one of you. <laughs> I'm speaking it. I'm speaking it into existence. Um, and I also just want to take a quick moment and just honor uh, Pastor Mark and Susie and our leadership team here, Abby, Brad, and Dave. Um, thank you guys for the way that you lead um, thank you for the way that you love and serve this house and the community. We are a blessed people because of it. Um, and also for trusting me enough to give me this microphone for 12-ish minutes. Uh, yeah, uh, you, you are a brave, brave leadership team. Um, <laughs> well, guys, before we dive in, I would love, could we just take a few seconds and just pray for our time? together. Let's just bow our heads and, and go to him. Father, you are welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, we ask that you come, that you speak to us, you encourage our hearts, you challenge us. Let our minds be open to receiving all that you have for us today. We love you and we give you this time. In your precious name we pray. And the church said, amen. All right, y'all. So I'm going to get real deep pretty quick. Um, and if you knew me, you know that this is completely not out of the ordinary for me. I love to, I love to take things real deep, but I promise that we're going to end in a hopeful place. So I got a little less than 10 minutes to bring you a word, so we're not going to waste any time. You ready? All right. So by a raise of hands, Hokesson, I expect full audience participation. Online, I need you to throw out those hand raise emojis. How many of you have walked through a difficult season in your life? Okay, here's the thing. If you're alive and breathing, if you're a human, your hand should be raised because uh, if you are a human, we have all walked through difficult seasons 
in our lives. Seasons where you couldn't see the other side. Seasons where the wounds felt real deep and the struggle was real. Seasons that you never thought you would make it out of. And for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, maybe your faith took a hit and you lost your bearings for a while. Maybe you find yourself in one of those seasons right now. Well, I remember one of my most faith-shaking seasons vividly. He came into our bedroom and told me that he wanted to file for divorce. I remember the instant feeling of drowning, even though I knew it was coming. I had been trying, we had been trying for a very long time to make it work. And where we were at now was the polar opposite of God's design and intention for marriage. I remember nodding my head in agreement through the tears. And that night, actually for several nights after that, I barely slept, I kept wondering how did we get here? And as a follower of Jesus, I believed that marriage was meant to bring us closer to the heart of the Father. And instead, it felt like it was just pulling me away. For the next several months, I experienced one of the lowest points in my life. It was this season that made me doubt whether I even believed in God, let alone his hand on my life. It felt like I was burning up and there was nobody coming to put out the fire. It actually felt like I had been tossed into a life-size version of one of these, to be honest. Everything was burning down around me. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, whether it's the good old-fashioned paper version or that electronic version that we get to hold in our hands every day, I would love for you to turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 3 with me. And we're going to read about three good buddies who are actually personal friends of Daniel, the writer of this book, who experienced one of these seasons that we've been talking about, except the fire that they had to walk through was literal. So the king of that time, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was known to be a pretty prideful king. And out of that pride, he built an idol, a statue, in other words, that he expected all of Babylon at that time to bow down to. There were no exceptions to this. So every time the people heard a bunch of crazy instruments going off, the people were expected to bow down or face immediate punishment. And that punishment, you ask, well, it was called death by furnace. Yeah, like a giant, blazing, super hot fire pit that like you just get kicked into. Totally alive. Yeah, sounds like a really great way to die. So just kind of picture this times like a gazillion. Yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, nobody would be choosing that form of death. But here we find ourselves. So we come to find a few verses later in this story that there were some tattletales in the kingdom. It was a bunch of King Nebuchadnezzar's chief officials. And they very quickly notified the king that there were a few who were not so great at following instructions. 
And we read their words in, starting in verse 12 of Daniel chapter 3. It says, But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Hmm. Now, our three friends, uh, let's call them Rack, Shack, and Benny. Now, if uh, you grew up watching VeggieTales, that reference was for you. And if you have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about, I implore you to Google VeggieTales after this gathering because I really feel like you're missing out on something real good. <laughs> but yeah, so our three friends, uh, they're going to be put on the spot. And I call this Rack, Shack, and Benny's what if moment? What if we don't bow down? Ugh. Death by furnace sounds like a pretty terrible way to die. What if we do bow down? That's probably a terrible idea too. Uh, you know what? I think no matter what decision we make, it's not going to end very pretty. You ever have your own what if moments in life? For me, in my bedroom years ago, my what-ifs were, what if I never get through this? What if my family is forever disappointed in me? What if God removes his purpose over my life? What if I'm forever defined by this failure? What, what if I'm never happy again? Maybe your what-ifs sound like this. What if this doesn't work out? What if the diagnosis is stage four? What if I wake up tomorrow and my life looks completely different? This world looks completely different. What if I never meet the one? What if this addiction keeps tightening its grip on me? What if my friends and family turn their backs on me once I've decided to accept Jesus as my savior? The list, I'm sure, could go on and on. See, our what if moments are really just a clever disguise that fear chooses to wear. A fear of the unknown, a fear of failure, a fear of not being good enough or accepted or worthy. See, when we pull back, we see that our what-ifs equal our fear. See, in that moment, our three friends, they had a choice to make. Allow their what-ifs, their fear, to rule the narrative or something else. And I had a choice to make all of those years ago too. So we've left our three friends with quite the decision to make. And the king, without a hint of a smile on his face, I'm sure, has just challenged them with, if you don't worship it, I'm gonna throw you in this furnace and then I'm not quite sure who's gonna be able to save you. And here's their reply starting in verse 16. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. 
He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Did you catch that? There was another if statement hiding in their response, which I think can be a really great counter argument, if you will, to our what ifs. Let's read verse 18 again. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Even if. These two words showed the king and frankly the entire world where they were putting their faith, in who they were putting their faith. See, to fight your fears, you just have to disarm their most essential premise, that your peace and security depends on a particular outcome. You have to fight it with an even if, because your even ifs equal your faith. So if this story is unfamiliar to you, I'm sure you can still imagine where our three friends found themselves with a response like that. So the king, again, he wasn't happy. I feel like he was probably never happy, to be honest. Uh, he immediately had the three friends tied up and thrown into the furnace that he demanded be made seven times hotter than usual. Now, I believe that this is a clever use of hyperbole because I'm not really sure how you can make fire any hotter than it already is. It's fire, y'all. Like, it's, it's not getting any hotter. But at that very moment, Rack, Shack, and Benny found themselves within the flames. We read this starting in verse 24. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. <laughs> Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth one looks like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come here, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Rack, Shack, and Benny stood in those flames, only the ropes that bound them ended up being burned. We also read in verse 25 that there was another who decided to join them, a son of the gods. Now, the Old Testament doesn't specifically tell us who this fourth person was, but I'm pretty sure it was because this presence was with them that they remained unscathed. I love this promise that comes to us in the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verse 2. Uh, it actually ends up being almost a direct fulfillment of the story that we're reading here in Daniel 3. And it says this, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. So even when the fire feels consuming, God speaks a better word over our lives. 
even if all of our what ifs and then some happen, hasn't he promised to always be with us? That we would face trials in this life, that is certain. But he will work all things together for his good, for our good, if we love him. So even if the diagnosis is stage four, and even when there's no guarantee of tomorrow, even if they leave, even if this fails, even if this pain is more than you can bear and your feelings are telling you a different story, he will be with you. He is with you. That's his promise. My hope and prayer for you today, church, is that when you find yourself in those what-if seasons of life, that you choose an even-if mindset. See, fear is really just misaligned faith. And if we place our faith in the fourth one in the flames, we will not be consumed. So which will you choose to remain in today? Your what-ifs, which equal your fear, or your even-ifs? which equal your faith. What is up, everybody? Come on, give Jesus some praise. Amen. Woo. How are you guys doing? I'm so humbled and honored to be up here. Lindsay, that was amazing. Such a privilege to be able to be up on this platform, be able to share God's word with you, Pastor Mark, leadership team, thank you guys so much for the opportunity. Just like Lindsay said, y'all trusted us with this microphone, so thank you for your leadership and the way that you lead and guide our church. We wouldn't literally be the same uh, without you. Hokesson team, y'all make some noise again for Hokesson. If y'all didn't know, if y'all didn't know, I spent uh, about a year over in Hokesson, well, what used to be West Wilmington, um, and they're doing some amazing things over there, and y'all... What you guys are doing matters, it's important. Setting and tearing down that church every week, I know it gets to be much sometimes, but lives are being changed. So thank you guys for serving and just doing what God has called us to do in that region. So let's get into the message today. Does that sound good to y'all? Ooh, come on. Hey, if I were to ask you what faith meant, what would your answer be? There's enough people in the room that we probably get a couple different answers depending on who you are and how long you've been in church or maybe you haven't been in church. But for some of us in the room, faith is a little tattoo we got on our forearm right there. I know some of y'all got that, right? With the little, with, with the little infinity sign drawn through it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of us, that, that's our definition of faith, that's okay. Some of us in the room, we've been through some stuff in life. We've been through some deep, treacherous times and we've, we've learned real quick what it looked like to have faith, what it looked like to, to, to rely on God and have trust and faith in him. Some of you in the room, you may have walked in here for the first time today and you've never even heard the word faith before and that's okay. We're praying that you leave here with your faith in Jesus, amen. But hey, some of us in the room, you just wish I'd stop talking and give you a definition. So I'm gonna do just that. If you're taking notes, if you're taking notes, write this down. Faith, when you boil it down, is complete and utter trust in someone or something Once again, faith, when you boil it down, is complete and utter trust in someone or something. So I grew up in church. I grew up in Sunday school. Anybody grow up in Sunday school? Oh, yes. Amen. Hey, so I grew up in church, and the teacher, whenever our Sunday school teacher, I love her to death. I still talk to her today. Whenever she would get up there and start talking about faith, an illustration came to my mind, and you probably know where I'm going with this. So when I was in school, we'd play this game where you'd have two people, right? We'll call, we'll call this person Jimmy. This is Tom. So Tom's up here in the front. And Jimmy in the back would say, hey, Tom, fall backwards. I'll catch you. And then like a dummy, okay, (laughs) and just fall right back. And you would have, that person in the front would have to have faith in the person in the back to catch them. And I remember when I would play this game in school, I was a kid that was like, (laughs) gotcha, and they just fall and like break their tailbone, it's terrible. But like that was me as a kid. 
Um, anyway, long story short. So I remember playing this game as our last recess in middle school um, before we went off to high school and we never got to have recess again. So we were like thinking of all these games we used to play as kids. And so we decided to play the, the, the trust fall game, right? So everyone had went, recess is about to wrap up. And I'm like, man, I can't go out like that. I gotta go out with a bang, right? I have to do something bigger and better. I can't just fall back. So my genius self, I walk to the jungle gym. I climb up the jungle gym, right? And I'm like, hey, y'all, come over here, catch me. I'm gonna fall backwards, right? And I'm like, oh, this is not good. This is not good. So I'm up at the top. I look back. All Everybody's like, go Sydney, go Sydney. It's your birthday. I'm up there, right? And I'm just about to fall backwards. And like I said, I had to make a name for myself. I didn't just fall back. I threw myself back, right? <laughs> and what in reality only took like 30, like two seconds to hit, the, to hit their arms, right? It felt like 30 seconds. The free fall is the worst part, right? So you're in the air, you're like, uh-oh, this ain't good, this ain't good, this ain't good. I'm gonna break my neck, I'm gonna break my neck. And right when I thought I was about to hit the ground and break my neck, they actually caught me. And I said, thank you, Jesus, because that was the dumbest thing that my little fifth, sixth grade self could have ever done. And so I got up out of their arms, I went on with my day, um, and it was great, right? I went to, to lunch, and I had forgotten how amazing that was. And I was like, huh, day is great. I had relied on their faithfulness. That was me putting a lot of faith in those kids to catch me jumping from something seven foot, right? But hey, let's break it down real quick. How many of us do we experience God's faithfulness in life, and we just walk on like nothing ever happened? How many times do we experience God's, God's healing in our life? How many times do we experience God making a way when we didn't see no type of way? How many times did God bring finances when there were no finances and we just move on past it like it was nothing and he didn't just show up in our life? Anybody in the room? That's me. Come on. Hey, so there's a verse in the Bible. It's in Genesis uh, chapter 22, verse two. This is, uh, this is God talking to Abraham. Abraham's got a son named Isaac. So, so God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah and go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. So the next morning, Abraham, he got up early, he saddled up his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac, and he chopped up some wood for the fire and set out for the place that God had told him about. And I love how casual the Bible sometimes presents these scenarios, right? Think about that for a second. God's like, Abraham, get your boy, put him on a donkey, go up to the hill, lay him across some wood, light him on fire, and kill him as a sacrifice to me. And if you read it the way it's written, Abraham's like, all right, bet, cool, we'll go find that place. It's crazy how the Bible's written sometimes. And like, if you read that, you're probably like, whoa, what's going on? But don't doubt that Abraham's reaction probably wasn't like, uh, okay, God, I'll do it. That's something terrifying. Can you imagine lighting your child on fire as a sacrifice to God? What in the world, right? Abraham's probably hesitant. He's probably a little scared. If you read the chapters before, and I encourage you to go do that in your own time, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, had prayed for this son, Isaac, for 25 years. And God had finally fulfilled his promise to give them a child. And here they have this child that they love so much, they'd prayed for 25 years for, and God's telling them to do this. Can you imagine in your life if you had prayed for something for 25 years straight, and then God asked you to just give it all up? And that's something. So sometimes when God asks you to do something or lay something on your heart, it's not always going to be easy because if it was easy, it wouldn't require faith. If God had told Abraham, hey, get the boy, y'all go up to the hill, stop at Wawa on the way, get you a hoagie and a bag of Cheetos and y'all have lunch, that doesn't require faith, that's easy. That would be natural to them, right? If, it, if, it doesn't, if it's easy, it doesn't require faith. You just need faith in Wawa to actually have pickles in stock. Can I get an amen? Hey. <laughs> 
it's, it's a problem, y'all, it's a problem. Especially this one down the street, sorry if you work there. Um, but no, you might be in the room today and God might be nudging you to step out of your comfort zone. You might be watching online, you might be over in Hocassin, and God might be nudging you in this season to step out in faith, to do something different. He might, you might not know what it is, you might just feel something. When we talk about joining the J team or joining a J group or, or, or giving your first, you might feel God nudging you and saying, maybe I should do that. And you're hesitant and you're scared. That's okay. That's okay. Because watch this. I believe that Abraham had faith in God because God had shown up in his life before. I believe Abraham, because him and Sarah, his wife, prayed 25 years for this child. You think praying for a day is hard. Praying 25 years for a child and it finally happens. That's faith right there. And so Abraham knew that God was faithful. Abraham knew that God would take care of him. Abraham knew that God wasn't gonna send him up on that mountain and have him just go up there and without a plan in mind, right? Abraham had faith in God. So let's get verse nine up there. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on top of the altar on top of the wood. Once again, Isaac's like, Dad, what, why am I laying on the wood? What you about to do to me, right? Verse 10, Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, yes, Abraham replied, here am I. So he's about, to, he's about to do the deed right there, and God calls him. Abraham says, here am I. Don't you lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Don't hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horn in the thicket. He then took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Let's be real, y'all. Having faith in something outside of our control ain't easy, is it? No, we like to control our lives. We like to control our circumstances. We like to predict our outcomes, if at all possible. And when any little thing gets in the way, oh, we start pouting and we get grumpy, like, what, what in the world is going on? But Abraham, he didn't have the details. He didn't have the end game in mind. He just did what God told him to do last. And I'll end with this right here. I love the travel. I love history. Two interesting things, because I go to any new city, or honestly, any city I've been to before, I like to stop and look at all like the historical markers everywhere. And like, I'll stop, and I'll just like read them, and I'll like Google them, and I'll you know, keep walking. I'll just be looking, looking, looking. I'll go home and watch a documentary. It's a problem. So if you travel with me, I'm sorry. It's going to be interesting. So anyway, I used to live in D.C. I used to work in D.C. Uh, for a few months, and I had to walk to work every day, and every day on my walk to work, I'd pass, it's DC, there are so many beautiful things and so much history took place there, and I would walk throughout the city and I'd see these historical markers everywhere, right? So if you go to Chinatown in DC, uh, if you go to the Rita's in Chinatown, that's actually the place where John Wilkes Booth conspired to kill Abraham Lincoln in 1864. So when you're ordering your, your mango custard, just think about that. Homegirl in the back making your custard, she's standing where John Wilkes Booth probably stood. Crazy, right? If you go to the National Mall, there's a big old thing there that says, it was in this spot in 1963 that Dr. King gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. And you stand there and you're like, wow, this place was once flooded with people hearing this amazing speech. So these historical markers, they serve a purpose. They, they, they designate whether something was good or bad. It doesn't matter if it was good or bad. They say what happened here, why it happened here, and give a brief description. Abraham does something similar in our last verse. Let's look at verse 14 real quick. Abraham called the place that the Lord, sorry, Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Right there where God had shown his faithfulness to Abraham, Abraham made a historical marker of his own. I bet after that day, Abraham never questioned God again. I bet after that day, Abraham never worried if they'd have enough food to eat or, or if their jobs were gonna last or whatever their circumstance looked like in life. I bet he never had to worry about it because he knew that God was in control and he made a marker in the past to prove where God had been before and where God was gonna take him in the future. For some of us in the room today, 
we've got some markers in our life. We've been following Jesus for a while and we've seen God's faithfulness all, all throughout our life. And we can look back in time and say, hey, I remember 10 years ago I was experiencing this. I have that marker in place. Say, hey, this ain't nothing that I'm experiencing today. I ain't gotta worry about a thing because I know God took care of it then. He'll take care of it right now. Some of us in the room, you might be new to all this. You may have not even put your faith into Jesus. In, in, in Jesus. And you'll have an opportunity to do that in just a second. And you can make your first marker here today. You can put your faith in Jesus. And you look back on this day, July 4th, 2021, 10 years from now and say, hey, I put my faith in Jesus there. Jesus literally saved my soul. I can trust him with anything that I'm going through right now in this season. And my encouragement, if you're in the room today and you don't have any markers built up in your life, allow God to strengthen you. Allow God to stretch you. God might be nudging you. He might've laid something specific on your heart. Start the business, take the job, move to this place, marry that girl, whatever it is. He might have laid something on your heart and you're hesitant and you're scared and that's okay. But trust God with one thing. Give God your yes. Take one step and I believe that God will strengthen you. And once you do that, you're gonna have some markers all around your life and you can look back on and say, wow, look what God did there. Look what God did there. I ain't gotta worry about a thing now because I know that God is faithful and he's for me. And I believe Abraham knew that my encouragement, give God your yes. He'll take care of the rest and just watch him show up in your life. Let's bow our heads to Jesus. We love you here today. And I wonder if all across the room with eyes closed, I wonder if across the room, if, if someone is here that maybe has that on their heart today, maybe they are experiencing a, a, a moment of God just nudging them to do something. And, and we're hesitant, we're scared to give God our yes. If that's you, would you be just bold and raise your hand in this place? Would you just lift your hand up? You know that God's calling you to something maybe. You know that God wants you to join the J team, join a Jager, maybe trust them with you first. Whatever it is, you only you know what it is. God, I pray that the people with their hands up across this room, God, would learn to trust you. I pray that they would take that step, God, whatever it looks like, that they would see you as for them, Father, not against them. And though it's not gonna be easy, though it's gonna be maybe tricky and they don't have all the answers in front of them, Lord, I pray that they would just trust you with this small thing. Maybe it's a big thing, who knows what it is. Maybe they would trust you with this and they'll be able to put up markers all over their life just like Abraham. Let's just stay in the presence of God for a moment more. And let me take a, a moment and talk to any of us who are in the room Newark and Hokesim watching online, but you don't yet have a real relationship with God. God never intended for Abraham to actually lose his son in that moment, but he did intend to give us a picture of what it would take for us to know God, to know him, and not just have a religion, but have a relationship with him. And years and years and centuries later, after what you just heard about, there was another hill and there was another sun. And this time he actually went through with it. This is the good news of Jesus. That he died in our place so that we could know God. And real faith is coming to the moment in our lives like two communicators you've just heard, like so many people around you right now, it's coming to the moment in our lives where we finally say yes to that Jesus who died for us. And we begin to follow him. And if you haven't taken that step yet, 
today's your day. You can sense God's drawing you to him. You just know this is an important moment. This is the day you declare through Jesus your freedom from the life you've lived without God, that you are a new person in Christ. And I'd love to lead you in that right now. So if that's you, right where you are, whisper out a prayer of faith, something like this. Jesus, today I believe in you. I believe you died to save me. I believe you're calling me to follow you. So today I give my whole life to you. I hold nothing back. It's time. I say yes to you. And I trust you with the rest of my life. And if that's you, while everyone around you is still focused on God, if you would say, that's my prayer. That's the one I want to be included in. If you're in the room, new our co-cast, we just lift a hand, just hold it up high. It's a very simple step to just say, that's me. I'm putting my faith in Jesus today. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Online, let us know. Type the word faith in the comments. I'm putting my faith in Jesus today. And then everybody, will you help me together? Come on, every location. Celebrate people who've just found Jesus, new life.